Bible now and open it to Matthew chapter 4. In our study so far in the Gospel of Matthew, in the past few weeks, we've been looking at the early part of Christ's ministry. And that began when uh, Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. He went to Judea, to the lower part of the Jordan Valley near the Dead Sea. And there John the Baptist baptized him. And in that baptism, Jesus declared in a picture what he would do for us. That he would be crucified, that he would be put into the tomb, and then he would arise from the grave. And when Jesus was baptized, there was a glorious display of the Trinity of God that was there. God the Father was there, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It was God the Father who spoke from heaven and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus was there, of course, because he was the Son of God and he was the candidate for baptism. And then the Holy Spirit came down and descended upon him in the form of a dove. And when the Father spoke from heaven and he said, This is my beloved Son, he was putting a stamp of approval upon the ministry of Christ and what he came to do And that was to come into this world to save people from their sins. So Jesus began his public ministry. And the Bible tells us here in the book of Matthew, he said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so Jesus began a ministry of the gospel. He was an evangelist. An evangelist is one who preaches the gospel. And Jesus began to call men from lives of sinfulness and destruction to eternal life through faith in him. After about a one-year ministry in the area of Judea, uh, Jesus moved northward. First, he went to the city of Nazareth where he grew from childhood into manhood. But the people there rejected him and they attempted to kill him. They took him up on a high place and they tried to throw him off of a cliff, but he was able to escape from them. And then Jesus moved further northward to the city of Capernaum, located on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. And at that point... Uh, Jesus' ministry began to change. Before, he spoke to people and he gave them the gospel. But he didn't really spend much time emphasizing a full-time commitment for people to do the same work that he was doing. But Jesus' ministry was not going to be a very long one. From the time that we're reading here now is only about two years until Jesus would go to his death. And so he needed to leave behind him some followers some people who would teach the very same things that he was teaching, preach the same gospel. They would carry on the ministry of the gospel of winning more souls for the kingdom of God. And so we see Jesus here in Galilee, and the ministry changes to discipleship. This is a ministry where he begins to train workers for teaching and preaching the word of God, telling the gospel to their fellows, to their friends, even to the masses of people that were dying and on their way to hell. And in today's message, we see Jesus calling disciples. He took a walk on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, and there he called out the very first ones that were to do the work of evangelism, reaching the lost with the gospel. So we're going to read today from Matthew chapter 4. If you'd stand with me, please. We're going to start with verse number 18 and read down to verse number 22. And then in the, as we go along with the message, we'll read through the end of the chapter. Verse number 18. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. 
And going on from thence, he saw two other, other two brethren, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in a ship with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them. And they immediately left the ship and their father and followed him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that we're able to stand here today and proclaim your word. We pray, Lord, that you might open the hearts of each hearer today, draw us closer to you. If there's someone here who is lost, that they might understand salvation today. And then for Christians, as we talk about discipleship this morning, that they will understand the great need of following you, just as Jesus called these men on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. Bless this message today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. And Jesus... Walking by the Sea of Galilee. You know, it seems like almost a dream to me that one year ago, almost at this exact time, uh, I was walking along the shores of the Sea of Galilee. One of the most important and best trips that I ever took of my life was when Gary and I were able to go to Israel. And if you ask people who have visited there, what was the place or what was it there that had the most impact on you? What place did you like the best? people will come up with many different answers. There are some people who say, well, I like going to Jerusalem best, and they may be moved by a visit to the garden tomb or to be able to walk through the streets of Jerusalem. Other people uh, are very impressed when they go and visit the Western Wall, and there you find Orthodox Jews that gather daily to pray and to remember the temple that they once had there. And really all that they have left is just that one portion of a wall that really wasn't even a part of the temple itself. It was just a part of retaining wall that held up the temple platform. But every day they come there to pray. And then there are some people who look at other things that are in Israel and that impresses them the most. I believe that Gary told me that the thing that most moved him and what he was most impressed about was the day that we were on the Mount of Olives and we start walking the very same route that Jesus walked as he came down the Mount of Olives, across the Kidron Valley and into Jerusalem just before he was crucified. And that was an impressive walk. But I would have to tell you that the place that I liked the best and the one that impacted me the most was the day, one of the days that we were on the Sea of Galilee. And we took a small boat and we went out on the sea. And it was just imagining that this was the very place where Jesus first called his disciples to a lifetime of commitment, a lifetime of following him and just dedicating themselves wholly to one who in many ways was just like him, just like them rather. I mean, Jesus was human. He, he grew up in a city that was not far from Galilee. He traveled with them. He, he slept with them. He ate with them. They walked with him daily. But they saw something different in him. It wasn't just that he was a man, but they saw that he was the Son of God and that he was their Savior. And so we read here, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Now today I have just a very simple, uncomplicated message for you. I want to start today with the following of Christ's ministry. The command that Jesus gave to these men was to follow me. Now that might be confusing to some because this is not the first time that Jesus had met these men and not the first time that he talked with them. 
In the book of John, we find there in the first year of Jesus' ministry in Judea, there were two men that were disciples of John the Baptist. And when John made this declaration, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world, when he pointed to Jesus, then these two men became followers of Jesus. These were Andrew and probably the other one. He's not named in the Gospel of John, but probably it's John himself, the writer of the Gospel, who was one of the sons of Zebedee. Andrew was the brother of Simon Peter, and so he went and he found Simon Peter and told him about Jesus, and at that point, these men became followers. Well, how is it here that we read this in Matthew, that this is nearly a year after that part or that first acquaintance that Jesus had with these men, and he says to them again, follow me. Is there a difference here in this command? I believe that there is. The first follow me when Jesus spoke to them earlier was a call to salvation. And this was a time when these men first realized that Jesus was the Messiah and they began to believe in him and they really truly believed that he was the Holy One who was sent from God. But here we find a command that I think is different because I think here is a command of full commitment. Now before the disciples didn't stop with their occupation. They were fishermen, and so when Jesus said to them, follow me, they received him as their Savior, but then they went back to the occupation that they had before. But now when Jesus comes and he speaks to them, and he says, follow me, this is different. And this is a call for them to leave their nets, to leave that occupation, forsake that, and to go into a lifetime of service to him. Now, what it means to be a disciple of Jesus is explained in many different places throughout the New Testament. But what we find here in the Gospel of Matthew is something that is very basic, the very basic foundation of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And if you don't get this right, no matter what you think uh, about Christianity, the loftier principles of being a Christian or what all of that means, if you don't get the very basic foundation of what it means to follow Christ then you can never come to the heights of Christianity. The command to follow me is an important one. It's an imperative commitment to Christ. It is a commitment in three very crucial aspects of obedience. So let's talk about those today. First is full obedience. Now that means to follow Jesus with unreserved obedience. And that means that there can't be any areas of your life where you have these half-hearted gestures about where you'll do some of the things that Christ says. You'll do some things as you follow him. This is not a command that says that you can hold back, that you can obey some of the commands of Christ, and yet there are others of those commands that you decide that are not so necessary to follow. This can't be about other areas of your life that you're not so sure about. And so when you follow Jesus with unreserved obedience, you can't hold anything back. You can't serve your self-interest and to serve Christ at the same time. You know, much of the problem that we have in evangelism today is that there is really no call to full obedience to Christ. The soul winner goes out today and he gives a gospel message and he simply says to people, believe in Jesus, trust in him, and your life will be so much better than it was before. You won't have any worries. You'll be happy. You'll be blessed. All of the good times will be before you and all the bad times are behind you. You know, that's a wonderful thought. But trusting Christ must involve a commitment that's made to him. Salvation without a commitment is not really even salvation at all. 
True discipleship means there has to be no reservations. Follow me is that imperative command and it's demonstrated by these disciples as they left their nets and they began immediately to follow Jesus. You know, there's some people that don't like this emphasis. They, they say, well, Pastor Smith, what you're preaching up there today is you're preaching a work salvation. You're telling people that salvation is dependent upon what you do. And I'm not saying that at all. Salvation is never dependent upon anything that you do. Salvation is God's gift, and it can never be received any other way than by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Salvation comes by God's grace. So I'm not saying that your good works are a means to your salvation. But what I am saying is that if you have true belief in Jesus Christ, it will always produce a commitment to him. Discipleship is a commitment to Christ. And anyone who enters into the Christian life and they say, I want to hold something back, I don't want to be obedient, that means that they don't have what it takes to be a follower. Does that mean that Christians don't sin? Does it mean that we never stumble? Does it mean that we don't ever fall short on our commitment? No, it doesn't mean that. But don't take comfort in your failures. Take comfort in what is in your heart. Do you have a desire to follow Jesus? Do you have a desire to go after him? Do you desire to obey him, to have full, unreserved obedience? And if you do have that in your heart, then your conversion is real, and you can be a disciple of Jesus. Now, folks, that's very basic. And without that, you can't have a foundation upon which to build your faith. The next thing that we see here is faithful obedience. Discipleship is not stop and go. When Jesus said to these men, follow me, he didn't mean this is something that you do once. You can do this for a little while. Jesus didn't say, follow me today, then tomorrow you can go back to your nets. No, they understood exactly what he meant. He meant, put your nets down. When you follow me, this is going to be your life's work. This is the path that you're going to follow from now on. I suppose there is no greater blight on Christianity today than those who say that they are disciples of Jesus, but they go on for a little while, and then they stop. They go to church for a little while. They're faithful attendees for a little while. They clean up their act for a little while, and then they go back to who they were and what they were before. But the mark of true discipleship is steadfast continuance. And the world is fooled by a type of Christianity today that stops and goes, stops and goes, and stops and goes. If you have a stuttering discipleship, then you really don't have discipleship at all. You know, I'm blessed by members of Berean Baptist Church. There are people that work in this church that week after week and month after month, year after year, you have remained faithful. You're always here. You're always in the place that God would have you to be. You're steadfast. You continue. You're faithful in God's work. And that's what obedience and being a disciple of Christ is all about. And that's what he means when he says, follow me. When you take a walk with Jesus, you can't lay down. You lay down, he's going to run off and leave you. He he keeps going. You have to stay up with him. Now, sometimes you might lag a little bit behind, and sometimes you may stumble, but that's when Christ reaches back, and with a gentle hand, he takes hold of you and brings you along. There are many times in our Christian lives when there are disappointments in God's service. There, There are people who disappoint you. There are trials that you face. But though you stumble a bit as you go along, You don't stop following. You just keep going. Now, faithful obedience is a mark of discipleship. Peter, who was 
later a leader of this group, had a lot of trouble with his discipleship. Remember his problem? I mean, there were times when Peter's faith appeared to be weak. It it appeared that Peter was going to fail. And that's when Jesus said to him, Peter, I prayed for you that your faith will not fail. And that's what discipleship is. A true Christian, his faith will not ultimately fail. Perseverance in what God calls you to do, that is a mark, that is a proof of your discipleship. Later, the Apostle John wrote on this very subject, and he said, they went out from us. But they were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that it might be made manifest that they were not all of us. John was not talking about people that were still Christians, but they just didn't like to be associated with God's people. They just didn't care to be around God's people. He said these people were never Christians to begin with. You know, Baptist, uh, uh, we we have a, a... a saying that's become our mantra, once saved, always saved. And you know the problem that we have with that so many times is we put too much emphasis on the always saved part and not enough emphasis on the once saved part. And that is extremely important. You can never depend and put hope in the, in the always saved part unless you have been once saved. So do you continue in the faith? Do you ever stop? Faithful obedience is required in discipleship. Now, a third one, this gets harder as we go along. The third one is faultless obedience. Now, hear me out when I say this. You must have faultless obedience. A true disciple of Christ faultlessly obeys. Let me show you what I mean. Take your Bible, since there's so many of you have those. Look in Philippians chapter 2. Turn back towards the back of the New Testament, a few pages there, to Philippians chapter 2. And those of you that are in our Wednesday night Bible study, you'll recognize these verses immediately. Look at chapter 2 in Philippians in verse number 12. This is Paul writing. He says, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, and you might want to underline the word obeyed in that verse, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, But now, much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world." You see the demand that Paul puts there? He says, be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke. Does that mean that you can be perfect? It doesn't mean that, but it means that you're not to accentuate your imperfections. Paul said that you are to be a person that so lives that if there is an evil accusation that's made against you, it is an unjust, unjust accusation. You can never stop accusations that people will make against you But don't be giving those same people ammunition to make accusations. A faultless obedience is a matter of your testimony. See, the gospel of Christ, it never would have gotten a start if the people that Jesus called to salvation were rebel rousers. I mean, if Jesus did not call them something that, to something that absolutely changed their lives, that made them something different from what they were before, Christianity would never have been given a chance. And folks, if there is not a difference in your life, if there's not a difference in which you have been changed by what you have believed, then you don't have the salvation that Christ offers. Now today I haven't talked about technical 
definitions of discipleship. But the word itself very basically means an adherent. It means somebody who sticks to the teachings of another person. Jesus said, The disciple is not above his master, but everyone that is perfect shall be as his master. And so that means that every true disciple is going to attempt, he's going to try, he's going to be living like the master. He wants to be like the teacher. He's faultless. He tries to be faultless as Jesus was faultless. Now the thing about Jesus is that they tried and they tried and tried to get accusations to stick against him. They constantly tried it. And finally, when it came the time to crucify him, they couldn't make any accusation stick. So what they did was they hired liars, false accusers, to tell lies about Jesus. Now, here's the thing about you and your faultless obedience to Christ. When somebody makes an accusation against you, are they telling the truth or are they telling a lie? And the difference between those two things is the difference between a follower and a faker. Now, what I'm telling you today are, I guess, long-lost principles of true discipleship. And that's because you can go to dozens of churches in this area, and you can listen to the preachers, you can see what they do, and they aren't too much concerned about your lifestyle. They aren't too much concerned about whether you're really following Jesus. And that's why we have churches in our area that advertise themselves as churches for people who don't like to go to church. These are churches that want you to come as you are and then you leave just as you are. We're not interested in that. If that's what you're looking for, then Berean Baptist Church is not a church for you. We want you to come as you are, but we want you to leave as a disciple of Jesus Christ. We want you to leave as a different person, somebody who's found salvation, someone who's found commitment, Someone who wants to enter into the service of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So if you want to take a walk with the world, then you need to go someplace else. But if you want to take a walk with Jesus, stay right here because we want to teach you what it means when Jesus says, follow me. See, these are just very basics of discipleship. It starts with obedience to Christ. Full obedience, faithful obedience, and faultless obedience. Well, now we need to move on to another part. And this is the fishing in Christ's ministry. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And so these men were to leave their nets where they were fishing for food and take up another vocation where they were fishing for followers. Jesus said, I will make you fishers of men. Have you ever wondered what Jesus would say if he came into Roner Park today and spoke to people? Would he say to people, follow me and I will make you fishers of men? I don't think that he would say that to us because that really wouldn't make much sense to us. We don't fish. And we have a variety, diversity of occupations in our church, but I don't think that we have a single fisherman in our church. We have some wannabes. You may have a sticker on your bumper that says, I'd rather be fishing, but most of you can't make a, make a living at it. Now, Eric over there, he's a really good fisherman, but I doubt seriously he could get enough fish on his kayak to make a living at it. So we're, we're not doing that. So Jesus is not going to come in here and say, I'm going to make you fishers of men. What I think he would do, do is that he would come here and he would talk to health care workers and he would say, follow me and I'll help you to heal broken lives. I think that he would come to teachers in our school and he would say, follow me. And I'll show you how you can teach eternal truths. 
I think he would come to truck drivers and he would say to them, follow me and I'll show you how you can load up heavy burdens and you can haul them all away. I think that he would come to our tech people and our networkers and he would say to them, let me show you how you can get people connected to a heavenly network. To bookkeepers and accountants, he would say, follow me and I'll show you how you can balance out people's lives. I think he would come to David Morrill And he would say, follow me, and I'll show you how to to deliver some people from the heat of hell into the coolness of the comfort of my love. I had to think a little while to get up that HVAC guy. But Jesus would have a way of relating specifically to you. So these men are fishermen. So the way he related to them was relate to them through the work of fishing. And it turns out that that's really a great analogy for bringing people into the kingdom of God. And so you can take the very same principles that there are for successful fishing and you can begin to apply them to being a soul winner. Now, there are many analogies that can be made, but let me give you three very quickly today how you can compare uh, fishing for men to fishing for fish. The first one is that you must have passion. You really have to have a desire to fish. Now, for me... It takes a really strong desire to get all of that equipment together and get the bait and go sit in a boat for hours, stick my hand into a bucket of smelly worms and crickets and, and uh, fish. I don't like putting minnows on a hook and throwing them out in the water and waiting for a fish to bite. I mean, I don't have much passion for doing that kind of fishing. But a real fisherman likes to do that. And I think that the problem with this... And our fishing for men is most of us really don't like to do it. We just don't have enough passion for it. But the greatest soul winners of all time were people with passion. And when you have that real deep down desire that you want to see people saved, when you really know it in your heart that that person will die and go to hell if they don't have Jesus, that'll help to develop some passion. That means that your family and your friends, people that you work with, I mean, I mean as, as much as you would like for things to be all right, the simple truth of the matter is things are not all right. And if you're a saved person, you already know that. Things are not all right. And these people need to hear the gospel. The whole world needs to hear the gospel of Jesus. And so there's not a person here today or anywhere in the world that's good enough to get to heaven without Jesus. And it doesn't make any difference if it's my family, your family, my friends, your friends. Nobody's going to get to heaven without Jesus. So Jesus chose men that he could make into men who had passion for souls. And the evidence we see of that is within a few short years, there were thousands of people who came to know Christ. The gospel of Christ spread throughout the Roman Empire at that time. And the very reason that you and I are sitting in this room today is because they told somebody who told somebody who told somebody who told somebody. And that's why we're saved. Now, the second thing that you need is you have to have a plan. The very simple truth of the matter is that fish do not jump into the boat. A few years ago, uh, Janet and Larry Jefferson uh, took us to Hawaii. Make note of that, folks. Uh, They took us to Hawaii. Uh, And while we were there, we saw some flying fish. I'd never seen that before. There were some flying fish. But, you know, fish are not going to fly into the boat. They just don't want to be caught. You're not going to find fish that want to be caught. And so a fisherman has to go out there with a plan to catch fish. So he's going to go with different baits, and he'll use every available means that he has to help him to catch a fish. 
And that's what you have to do. I know all of you have heard this old story about that fisherman who had a very unique way of fishing. One day he was out in the boat on the lake and he drew the attention of the game warden. And that's because he was sitting out in the boat throwing sticks of dynamite into the water. So kabloom, the, the dynamite blows up and all the dead fish float to the surface. Well, the game warden heard all this going on, so he went out there to warn him that you can't fish for fish that way. That's illegal. So he just lit up another stick of dynamite, tossed it into the game warden's boat, and said, you're going to talk all day or you're going to fish? <laughs> a fisherman has to have a plan for fishing, so he uses different methods. Now, here's the thing about it, though. What we're telling people never changes. The gospel of Jesus Christ will never change. It's been the same since the very first time that it was ever told to anybody. We can't change the gospel of Jesus Christ because all of us are saved in exactly the same way. But what does have to change is the approach that we give to people. Sometimes that has to change because dealing with your mother-in-law about salvation is not the same thing many times as dealing with a co-worker about it. Speaking to a Roman Catholic is not the same thing as speaking to a Mormon. You know, an example of how Jesus used diversities of approach was when he was speaking to that rich young ruler. Now, he's become a great example in so many different ways throughout the Bible. But this young man who was rich came to Jesus, and he came in his self-righteousness claiming that he had kept the laws of God. Jesus confronted him then on the issue of righteousness. And he said, well then, what have you given to the poor? How have you taken care of the poor? And he says, go and sell everything that you have and give it to the poor. That was a different approach because Jesus made him realize there is no such thing as self-righteousness. So he mixed up the approach. Then when Jesus was later speaking to the woman at the well, he took a different tack. Now here is a woman, she's not claiming to be righteous. Remember, this is a woman who's been married several times. She's not claiming to be righteous. And so Jesus came to her and spoke in a different way. There she was drawing water from a well, and Jesus took that example. And he said, this water that you're drawing from this well will only last you for a little time. It'll only quench your thirst for a little time. But he says, the well or the water that I want to give you will be a well of water that springs up into everlasting life. Jesus just altered the approach. And that's what we have to do. The approach has to change, the plan has to change, the way a person is saved never changes. So a fisherman, he has the right bait to catch the kind of fish that he wants to catch. Now the third thing that you have to have with fishing is that you must have patience. That's why I don't like to fish for fish. I just don't have the patience. Now if I could sit out there and throw the line in the water and draw fish out of the water one after one after one after one, that's okay, I can do that kind of fishing. It's that kind where you sit in that boat for hour after hour after hour and you never catch anything. When you fish for people, you have to have patience. Now, here's the wonderful thing about the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've only been called upon to do one thing, and that's throw out the bait. It's not up to us to get the fish to take the bait. All we do is put it out there. We just preach the gospel of Christ. Then it's up to God to make that fish take the hook. God does all of that. We can't do it. You know, when William Carey was called to be a a missionary to India, he went there and he labored for seven years, never having won a convert to Christ. Most people would have given up. They would have said, this is the wrong place. This is not where God wants me to be. But William Carey didn't do that. He continued. He was persistent. Then after seven years, God began to give him fruit for his labor. We can't be discouraged by the results. 
We have to keep throwing out the bait. And so that means at work and with your family, with your friends, don't give up after you've given one, two, three, five, ten gospel presentations. Don't give up. Just keep giving the gospel and wait for God to give the increase. You know, I've known people that have come to Christ because there were persistent Christians. Just a Christian who didn't give up. Now, that doesn't mean that every time that you see your coworker that you walk by his desk and slap him on the back of the head with your King James Bible. That's not what you do. And it doesn't mean that you corner him every single day and, you know, keep pressing him about making a commitment to Christ and coming to, to Jesus for salvation. You don't have to do that. But what you can do is you can continue to live a consistent testimony before the people that you try to win. Did you know that Peter addressed this in 1 Peter chapter 3? He actually said that a woman can win her husband to the Lord. Though he may be a lost man, she can win her husband to the Lord simply by being a godly wife. If she loves her husband the way she should love him, if she treats him with respect the way that she should treat him, if she keeps living a testimony in front of him, The Bible says that that woman can win her husband to the Lord by her testimony. Just have the patience and let God do the saving. See, he's already told us his word is not going to return to to him void. God will always use his word to accomplish the purpose that he intends. Now, in the coming days, I promise you, there's going to be a lot more said about evangelism. This is the lifeblood of the church. And all of us here, including the preacher, we could use some more desire, some more passion for bringing people to Christ. Now finally then, from this text today, to take a walk with Jesus is to see the fame of Christ's ministry. The closing verses of this chapter speak about his fame. Now it wasn't always this way. Opinions began to change concerning Jesus. But here at this point of the Galilean ministry... His fame was spread far and near. Look at verse number 23. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. And his fame went throughout all Syria and they brought unto him all sick people that were taken with divers, diseases and torments and those which were possessed with devils and those which were lunatic and those that had the palsy and he healed them. And there followed him great multitudes of people from Galilee and from Decapolis and from Jerusalem and from Judea and from beyond Jordan. Three things very quickly that stand out about Jesus' fame. First, they were amazed by his preaching. They were amazed by it. He taught in their synagogues and he went there and he preached the gospel. That was unlike any other teaching they'd ever heard before. And in the book of Mark, uh, Jesus had just cast out a demon And something was said about him. It says, And they were all amazed, insomuch that they questioned among themselves, saying, What thing is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority commandeth he even the unclean spirits, and they do obey him. And immediately his fame spread about through all the region round about Galilee. In a few weeks, we start the Sermon on the Mount. And when Jesus was finished preaching on the Sermon on the Mount, they respected, they were amazed by the authority of his preaching. He knew how to explain, he knew to expound, how to exhort. Jesus did not spend useless time arguing like the Pharisees did because whenever he spoke, he ended all arguments because he spoke with authority. Secondly, they were astonished by his miracles. There was no disease, there was no sickness, there was no demon that he couldn't heal from. 
Unlike the many fake healers that we have today, Jesus was even able to heal from congenital defects. Jesus healed them all. Every person that he healed was immediately healed from that illness. And there was no doubt that the healing came directly by the power of God. A third thing about him, they were awed by his compassion. He was moved when people came to him. He didn't turn anyone away. Did you know Jesus never asked for an offering? He never asked for anybody to do any favors. And these people, they were used to people coming around and preaching them many different things. And Jesus was totally unlike anybody they'd ever heard before. So he went throughout all the cities of Galilee where there were thousands of people. And as he preached, his fame began to spread. So people came to him to learn from him, to sit at his feet, to be healed by him. And we even see that they also came many times to be fed by him. And did you know that in all of that, Jesus was setting an example. It was an example of discipleship. He said, follow me. And every single day that those disciples walked with Jesus, they learned what it was like to be like him. They must preach, they must teach, they must heal, they must show compassion on friend and enemy alike. And most of all, they must hold up the gospel of Jesus Christ and tell people that that is the way that you can be saved from your sins. And so they were to be his witnesses, and they couldn't do it unless they were disciples that were fully, faithfully, and faultlessly obedient to him. And friends, let me tell you, that is exactly the same kind of discipleship that Jesus calls us to today. Jesus invites everyone in this room today to take a walk with him. But you can't walk with him unless you get these very basic principles down. Are you ready? The question is, are you ready to enter into that noblest of all service? Are you ready to take a walk with Jesus? Well, if you haven't given your all to him, if you haven't surrendered to him, then you're not ready. It's just basics of discipleship. You have to do these things or you can't walk with him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the time we spend together today. I just ask you to impress upon our hearts what it means to be a true follower of you. And I pray, Lord, today there may be some Christian, even in this congregation today, who would say, I've not been faithful. I have not been fully obedient. I have not followed in the way that I need to follow. I have so many things wrong. There are so many faults. I want to get those things right today. And I want to enter into discipleship. I want to enter into following Jesus as I need to follow. Speak to some heart today. Speak to someone even about salvation today. You can't follow if you don't believe. And so, Lord, we just pray that you'd impress someone with the gospel upon their heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.